Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Well, you, so you think about public land down here, right? And you're like, all right, I'm going to go over here. I'll sit. And if I can see 100 yards in these woods, then I can see a long ways. Ideal, yeah. You go up there and sit in the woods, and you're like, okay, it looks like I can only see. I got about 100, 150 yards. And then you see a deer step out at 300 yards away, and you're like, oh, shit. I didn't realize I could see that far. Because <laughs> everything just kind of 2Ds you know, into a, yeah. a 2D in front of you. But you can see forever through there because you don't have a thick underbrush. In a lot of places, it's all tall timber. Stem counts probably pretty low up there. Yeah. Right. Oh, but I was going to say, too, like, you look here and you're like, oh, there's a good creek. I should go hunt that. No. You don't want to sit down on the creek. Like, you want to sit, like, halfway up the ridges because those deer travel. They don't travel, travel. the bottoms like they do really? here. Yeah. No. They travel the tops. That was that was one of the things so I'm I used found. to just getting up in some, you know, knee to waist deep swamp up off the river, and that's typically where I'll see most of the deer. Not there. They don't travel in the bottoms. So I'm used about halfway down the ridge or the top of the ridge from the, about halfway up to the top. They'll travel in that area right there. Now they'll go down into the bottom and feed, but they don't move. They don't follow the bottoms around. Like if you go up into South Georgia, even they'll yeah. follow the bottoms around. And I, I, I personally believe it has a lot to do with the temperature. You, yeah. you think it has anything to do with how steep the, the ridges are? Nope. No. Nope. I think it has completely everything to do with temperature. Because if you look, when you see, when do you see deer the most in the bottom in Georgia? In the morning. In both seasons, or early season. Yeah, early season. When it's cooler, they're not, they don't frequent that bottom near as heavily. They're up in the open area. It never gets that stinking hot up there. No. We're, I mean, when I shot that, that buck, uh, well, the doe I shot before him in late September, the high that day was 78 and a low of 34. So it, there's That's, huge temperature swing. Yeah, that is pretty drastic. And then he was, when I was in the stand, at, I shot him at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon in November, early November, a couple of weeks later. And it was 45 degrees when I shot him. Yeah. So And I've seen it as cold as 19 degrees on Halloween up there. So or I shot him in early October and... Uh, I've seen as low as 19 degrees on Halloween. In so October. You, yeah, yeah. You never know. 
Well, you're going to get that down here. But we did have a cool, uh, it kind of got pretty cool early last season. It stayed pretty cool all throughout both seasons. It did, yeah. It was nice. Uh, yeah, it was great. Not typically used to it. I wish it would have stayed that cool through summer. <laughs> I mean, it, it was probably one of the coldest years. I mean, I feel like I've experienced. When we went duck hunting that day, there was ice Oh, my God, yeah. He went uh, the morning, Christmas morning, me and yeah. him went duck hunting. Pull that mic up a little closer to you. And uh, I had to, like, chisel the ice out of the back of my boat so that I could put my plug in. <laughs> it was cold. And then, uh, like, we were leaving, like, once we got into shallower water where we were going to hunt, we were breaking ice with the boat. Yeah, that was the first time I've ever experienced that. Yeah. So the only thing with hunting Fort Campbell is it favors um, active duty military and veterans over civilians. So the gotcha. air, the training areas are prioritized to make sure that active duty military veterans and all that, they get priority over to get what areas they want first. And then whatever, pretty much whatever's left goes to Joe Blow civilian. Now you can go off base and there's other public land opportunities more of them are closer in the state of Tennessee. LBL is really not that far away. Is that all quota? No. No. First come, first serve. So they have really a certain a limit of part. tags. What do you mean? Do they give out like a certain limit like of tags per... So they'll open up 15 training areas. And each of those, like you see how they all had numbers? Yep. So you'll get a list of what's going to be open over the weekend. And then each training area will hold... I don't know, depending on if it's like a big area and it's a bow only area, then it's going to hold a crap ton of people. Yeah. To put it in perspective, 49, the one that we hunted the most was what? A couple thousand acres. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in that couple thousand, there's only like 15 or 20 people in a couple thousand acres. That's hard to beat. It's not bad. The thing it's is a though, real sucker to try and get it to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a pain in the butt. You should run into people because there's a road only on one side. Oh, so everybody has to deals. come in from the same side. Yeah, I know a few places that are similar to that. Yeah, but uh, it's not bad. I hunted on that base for three of the five years I lived up there. So you lived in Kentucky. I was stationed at Fort Campbell for five years. Nice. Very fortunate to be stationed there as, as a deer hunter. But then I got access to some private property in Tennessee, and that, the third year we hunted on the base during bow season. And then when bow season in Tennessee was over, then we would go hunt the private property. And then after that, we said, nah, screw it. We'll just bow hunt all through the year, the last two years on that private property. Not and I didn't have, oh yeah. Yeah. We had, I'll show you uh, one of the bucks we had on camera there. Get my phone oh, out dude, you had a nasty buck on camera there. Um, There's some good deer up there. People won't tell you that, but. They're there. There's good deer everywhere. It's just, you know, a lot of the times, how much time and work you want to put in. Let's see what you got. Just a little one. Ooh. He oh, was, man. He ended up getting shot at night uh, in the state forest behind us. Poach? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we were dealing it, with trespassers, so we'd been dealing with the game warden and showed him the photo, and then when he got shot and he, the guy got caught, he called us and was like, hey, you can quit chasing that deer because he did. It's a shame. Which I mean, I, it was it was nice to know. I hate to see him go that way, but it's nice to know. At least you had some closure. You, know, yeah. you weren't just out there for nothing, just Not, sitting around, yeah, literally chasing a ghost. ghost. I mean, but yeah, 
every single year, that piece was kind of funny because we would go, you wouldn't see a single buck, hardly a single buck or a decent buck on camera all summer long. Does all over the place feeding. A buck would sometimes roam in and out of there, a good one in velvet. And then as soon as about the middle of bow season, cameras all over the property. Bam, buck, 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 buck. They start pushing into that piece of private property. And so you think they're pushing into private due to pressure? No, I think they're pushing into the private property because when about the middle of bow season was when our food plots were ripe for the pickings. Just about to ask if you, mm-hmm. yeah. We're planting soybeans and other, you know, stuff like that. We did have some early season stuff, but it was mainly planted for dove. Like we had, you know, sunflowers and stuff like that planted on the property. So, uh, I mean, that kind of shows how important food plots are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you also, you can't, you couldn't hunt over bait in Tennessee. So you so, able to hunt over bait in Tennessee. Correct. So you had to You have can't shoot pluses. hogs in Tennessee either. That's also illegal. It's Correct. illegal. Yes. I mean, do they have like a hog problem like we do down yeah, here? Yeah, no. no. Because you, and I, I really do attribute it to the fact that you can't shoot them. Like it's illegal to harvest pigs on your property. What you are supposed to do, if you see a wild hog on your property, you contact DNR. DNR will send a professional out there to trap or remove the pigs from your property. What they're doing there is eliminating the like, ah, well, that's just one. If we let it go, we'll get, you know, 10 or 15, and then we can we can shoot them here and there because 10 or 15 turns into three or 400 real quick. Absolutely. It takes the sport out of it for people, so people don't try right. to feed them and build more. Keeps them from importing bring, people bringing hogs in, letting pigs loose. I get it. The whole time we were there, I only ever saw one pig, and it was on our trail camera. No idea where he went. Well, I saw him two or three times. Call the DNR? Gone. Well, at that point, it wasn't it wasn't illegal. Oh. At that point, you could shoot pigs only on private property. Mm. But they did offer the DNR option at that time. So, But you couldn't shoot them year-round during deer season. Yeah, I've got, I've got a few different management areas I hunt. It gets pretty scary at night walking out. I mean, you'll be surrounded by 30, 40 of them. Right. You know, and you just kind of pray that they're not going to come and... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was. Uh, I've, I've been surrounded a few times. It's been pretty, been pretty scary. You know, you just got to get out of there. I had a. Was it? I guess it was this past week. Not. Anyways, this past week I was filming down in South Florida at uh, Razor Ranch, and these guys, man, I'm telling you, they run a jam up operation, and they have a piss ton of hogs. But we came down there, and I was doing a bunch of filming, and one point. The guy that I was filming for, Calm Man Outdoors, shot a hog, and I was standing behind him, and it started running directly at us. And he's, like, behind a tree, but I'm trying to, like, get, like, him and the hog, so I'm kind of standing in the wide open. And that thing starts running directly at I Dude, I switched hands with the camera real quick <laughs> and then, like, drew my pistol, but it turned off and ran, so I never shot it. And then I got to hunt one morning. I was filming myself and then didn't end up shooting one from the stand where I was filming myself, so he started filming me. And uh, we set a feeder off and then walked to the other side of the feeder. And it's, I mean, we didn't walk around. We weren't five seconds from setting that feeder off. Walked around the corner and there was a pig like three yards from me. Tell him why you didn't kill one, Jordan. Don't just make it seem like you didn't see anything. Because I missed. (laughs) 
Because you, hey, mi- you missed or because you, like, why, why did you miss? Yeah, well, I missed several times. Why did you miss the first time? All right, so the first time, I didn't miss. Can't I, miss if you can't shoot yeah, and you don't I, load your gun. I couldn't shoot because oh. I had never put one in the chamber. Well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the second time, I missed because I didn't realize that his gun had, like, a one-pound trigger. So I'm getting up there, and I'm, you know, like... <clears throat> I'm trying to get a good pull on the trigger. So I'm like kind of I'm kind of steadying it in and I'm slowly, I mean, as soon as I put an ounce of pressure on that trigger, pow, it goes off. I'm like, "Dad, gummit." I, w- I want you to I want you to read that sticker in the top left side of that fridge. What's it say? <laughs> yeah, blame missing blame on the gun. Missing on the gun. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, it was me. I just didn't expect it to go off. It's, I was trying to get a little bit of trash out of the trigger. I didn't know it was going to be that clean and crisp of a break on the trigger. <laughs> And then the uh, the last time was me too because it was like three yards away and running at me, so I didn't know what to do, and I just threw the gun up and shot. And I had one of those instances once, you know, just walking through the woods, scouting, you know, looking for some uh, turkey sign. Into small game season a few years ago, and uh, out of nowhere, here comes a boar charging me and my buddy. You know, we put we put about ten in him. It still was coming at us, and finally. <laughs> Finally did its thing. It fell down, but uh, they're tough, man. They are tough. Yeah, especially when you put ten like in the gut, and <laughs> yeah, you just make them more mad. Yeah, dude, Ugh. me and uh, me and Cody put some serious time in in the turkey woods this year. Oh yeah, we did. Goodness. Well, before we get any further, let's introduce everybody. I'm your host, Will Krebs. I got Jordan here with me tonight. I'm here. Let's get it. And we got Cody, and we're talking public land hunting. Yeah. It's that it's that all things woods really. It's that time of year where you just really start to get that itch again, because hunting season's been gone now for about a month. It's um, it's June eighth. We got we got about a week until quotas come out. It's yeah, yeah, because you already put in for quotas. Now they're coming back out. I was pretty sure I talked to Cody the other day on the phone, and he, you were on the phone or I texted you or something. He was out scouting. I think I was I think I was behind you, Mm -hmm. riding down the road. But yeah. yeah, I've got a few few places in mind. I mean, the areas that I hunted last year were new spots. I just posted up on the river and some walk-in stuff, you know. Ocala National Forest is huge. It's all around us over here. So, uh, yeah, I found I found a really good spot. It, it held a lot of bucks. They didn't seem to want to leave. Um, the river flooded. It, it got, it's the highest I've ever seen it. It was yeah. bad. Yeah, and it pretty much pushed all these bucks that were hanging out deep in the river swamp that was hard to access up towards the scrub. So there's a nice buffer there that you can hunt. And I, I seen a lot of deer. Unfortunately for me, I fell off a roof and broke my ankle uh, two weeks before bow season last year. So I had to do a little bit of ground blind hunting. I had my challenges. Were you on crutches? I was on crutches. In a, See, I, I bow hunted, I bow hunted with a broken ankle or not bow hunted, but, but I've hunted with a broken ankle, but I had like, uh, a regular cast with this funny little shoe on the bottom. Oh, yeah? And could I you could, walk on it? I could, yes. See, I couldn't put any pressure for, for about two and a half months. And then, I mean, as soon as I could put pressure on it, I was back up in the lock-on. I was, no, no, I broke, like, the bottom of the ball joint. Oh, like the heel? No, like where your oh. the ball from your leg connects to the yep. top of your ankle. Yep. I broke the round part of that bottom, put a crack in it. So, it hurt. But I could still put weight on it. There yeah. was no, like, I didn't physically snap a bone in half or anything. But uh, 
No, I hunted with that boot on. Wasn't a big fan of it. Your toes get wet. Believe it or not, actually, I killed a pretty nice little buck in the, the scrub portion of Ocala with the boot on. <laughs> yeah, my, my friends, my roommate, he uh, he does a lot of running dogs. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's pretty popular around here, you know. But uh, he's like, yeah, come on out. So I went on out, and <laughs> sure as shit, the first day I go out, I, I killed a nine-point in front of the dogs. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> I was barely hobbling around. Yeah, I was barely hobbling around. There's guys that dog hunt their whole lives and never kill anything near a nine point. Yeah, I mean, he was only <laughs> he was only about six yards away too. I was just crouched down, you know, in this little spot. A so lot you of deer did. crossings, you know. I was like, you know what? If this this looks like a good spot, a deer is going to come. You know. Then then you get all the sympathy too because nobody's going to make you like go and find it and drag it back. You're like, I'll wait right here, guys. Thanks for going and doing that for me. Yep. <laughs> like, I got a broken ankle. They just drag it back here. I appreciate it. Yeah, oh, load man. it up in the truck for me, would you? It yeah. was honestly pretty awesome how it worked out because I had the little handheld radio on my side, you know, and as soon as I shot, I mean, I, I, I knew it was a decent buck. As soon as he turned his head, I was like, yeah, I'm going to shoot that one. And, uh, I mean, being eight yards away with double-op buck, it, it just, they don't go anywhere. So I ran up. <laughs> I counted the points and I was like, nine point down, big buck down. And then uh, the deer tried to get up. So I had to put a couple shots of my nine in it. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, they hit the radio, you know, where you're at, we're coming to you. So I was hollering, they found me. And uh, a couple young bucks actually drug the deer out for me. And I was like, I'll, I'll help, you know. They're like, no, nah, man. Young bucks, this kid's, what are you, like 25? Nah, uh, 27. 27. I forgot 27. we're the same age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, they're they like 18, young and, 18 and 19. I mean, that's that's young buck nowadays. But uh, that's fair. We're when I got out there, I mean, everybody was posted up right there. I don't know how they got there because this all happened in a span of maybe three minutes. You know, it, it happens quick out there. And there was probably eight trucks lined up at the road where I just walked from. And they're like, how did you know what it was? Like, what was happening, man? We were hearing gunshots coming from everywhere. I'm like, yeah, it's trying to get up. I'm gonna let him go. Hey, you gotta put that insurance shot in. Sometimes. Oh yeah, hey, I, I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hungry. I see horns. I see good horns that I'm gonna shoot. If it starts to get up, I'm putting an insurance shot in. Hey, been there. It was yeah. a cool little buck too, man. He had a. It was almost a ten point, and he wasn't but eight and a half inches inside spread. But he had these cool little kicker points coming straight off in the front. An eight and a half inch this. inside spread hey, nine man. point. That is, that, that is Florida. Deer weighed 165 pounds. Good Lord. That is Florida at its finest, son. Yeah. That's a scrub buck. Got to keep it nice and tight so that he can get, get through, through all that. Get through the thick bushes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, though, you think how uh, really like the, the environment the deer grows up in affects how, how their horns grow. Absolutely. Oh, you look at that that 13 point I got in there. Uh, And I shot and him tall thick in the bottom. And he's not very wide, but he's super freaking tall. Yeah. Like 16-inch G2s, big, tall G3s, G4. I think the G, G3s, G4s are, G4s are like seven or eight inches long. Yeah. Oh, that's wicked. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Oh, that is a nasty little buck. Man, that, that left side, it was almost coming out, but he's really thick instead. He just kind of got thick at the... At the tip right there. That's but. what she said. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I got to find a picture with the boot on. Here we go. Check that out. 
There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you turned my microphone off. Oh, you're on four. Yeah, I'm on. My bad. Dad, come trying to turn me off over here. You don't want to hear me talk something? Oh, just keep you quiet for a while. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Having some family feuding. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, me and Cody wandered through the scrub oh, one day man. for so long. I swear this I almost kind of thought I was going to die. It, it was, was hot. almost like this Tom was just following us, man. It, it's like we, we come up here. Okay, we know he's in this field. We can't really touch him right now. We walk back, and then we hear wings everywhere. And then we're like, all right, let, you know, let's let's walk. Let's walk down this road or, you know, back to the truck or something. We got to do something different. This turkey's whooping our ass, you know. And, uh, yeah, well, there's a tom. It just flew out of a tree right over us. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, we hunted. It was a cat and mouse game. Day one, we he knew where this one tom was. And we kind of, like, hunted it. We hunted it that morning. But then we kind of gave up on it midday and kind of wandered around the scrub here and there. And got, you know, like 80,000 ticks on us. Oh, yeah. I sat down to poop after we hunted and picked 14 ticks off just my calves. Oh, man. That's like when we went out that day. I had had so many dang chigger bites all over me. I'd much rather have ticks all over me than chiggers, man. I was putting on so much Benadryl, Benadryl, like topical Benadryl cream that it made me drowsy. Yeah, that's pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we hunted that one bird for what, four days, three days? Three days, um, right? No, it was it. Well, you hunted I, it on the Sunday. I, I didn't hunt. That I Sunday. killed the bird on the fourth day, the very last day of the hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes. I mean, yeah. I mean, we did kind of branch off. There was a personal vendetta at that. There, point. there was definitely, and you know, this bird. It, it, he wasn't even no great big bird. I've seen him before. His beard was just a little, just a little over eight inches, something right. like that. But I'd had a history with this bird, and. I wasn't letting him get away. They put the slip on you that many times. You owe it to him. Yeah, well, it, it he only... hardly put the slip on us. He just no, he just knew what was going on, and he had too many. He had too many hens. It, it was so hard to pull him off the hens when the hens were so vocal. And you know, I can only do so much with a mouth call. Um, I typically use a slate. You know, it typically is. It's worked pretty good for me in the past, but this year I wanted to. I wanted to try something different, so I used the mouth call. And, I mean, it works for the most it, part, but not when you have seven vocal hens. If I learn anything this turkey season, it's that I can call a turkey just good enough and close enough that it can um, see us. Screw us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, the way Cody killed this turkey is that we hunted it for so long that he that we patterned it. Yep. <laughs> figured out where it was going. We well, that's pretty out. much where we were at with that, yeah. with that one bird. Um, and had, I think we we, patterned it on the first day. It took us three days to pattern this bird. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we had had some previous scout knowledge. Yeah. yeah, That bird, what he was doing. And then dude, we never would have figured out what he was. We we wouldn't have patterned him on the first day. Had we not left, accidentally left the box on the woods. Yeah. Well, that Sid gave us a dead lights too. Yeah. I think we, we had Sid on our back on that one, but still he was, yeah. Whatever happened with that hunt? John, I don't know if we ever told the story. I don't think I've heard the story yet. I don't know if we did or not. I can tell it one more time. We did. Yeah. We hunted up there. Well, I know I talked with talked to Chuck about it quite a bit when he was in here. Oh. Um, but you weren't here. But uh, we we hunted. 
in the WMA we were in, hunted the same bird for three days. Mm-hmm. And the first morning, he Should was... Should have made it four. We probably could have killed him. Yeah, if I'd have known you didn't have work that day, I'd have been out there again. I would have known I didn't have work either. I'd have been there again, too. <laughs> we uh, hunted him for three days. The first day, we ended up directly underneath his roost, well before daylight. But, so how we had patterned him, though, is that we were, I was watching him go to roost for several weeks before. So his roost was like 300 yards. If you're walking in, it was like 300 yards to our right. He wouldn't have been that far. He might have been 150, 200 to our right. But the we set up where we set up because he would have either had to cross a trail that was 30 yards in front of me or go all the way around uh, like a big cypress head swamp to get yep. to where he was. To get to where he was in the morning, later in the morning. So I was like, well, he's either going to, it's a 50 50 shot. He's going to come through right in front of me or he's going to end up over here to my left at about 75 yards where I can't see him, but I'll be able to hear him Yeah, and maybe bring him back to where I'm at right now. We got in there, dude. We were walking, had flashlights in our hand, just like peeking, barely peeking light through if we absolutely had to. to yeah, because there was no way to not use light to get in there. Super thick. Then Wet. got set down, peace and quiet. Like, all right, just relax a little bit. And then I told Jordan, I said, he gobbled. Sunrise was at like roost. 740. He literally yeah. gobbled right at sunrise. I said, he gobbles on his own right at sunrise. I said, if he's going to do that, I don't want to shot gobble him. Just let him do his thing. Yep. And Because uh, I don't want to bring any more hints to him than would already be there. Sure enough, right at sunrise, he just hammered right off the roost 20 yards to my left. And I look, I turned my head and looked up, and I could see him sitting on the branch. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> That's said, a real kick in the nuts. Man. And then his buddy's 70 yards away at another tree, and they're just hammering back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then they hit the ground and gone. They hammered at each other for like so they, they 30 s- minutes. He switched roost trees yeah. on the third day. No, on day one. Day one. Yeah, I had been watching him for several weeks. He was in a different tree. Day one when we hunted him, the, he had changed. Here's a question. Dude, the morning before that, before the hunt started, before season was open, I went out there to make sure he was still in that roost, and he was that morning. He switched roost from season open Saturday morning. He switched it Friday night. I mean, how could he even know? I mean, he wouldn't. At I, that point, he wouldn't even have felt pressured yet. The only reason I knew, the reason we sat where he was, because I snuck in there at about 7 or right before 8, just after 8 o'clock, and I saw him about 100 yards out in a pasture from the well, edge of the... That's where I dropped a pen for his roostery. Yeah, WMA. Well, no, not there. He would been That would have been to our right. But he was out in the pasture. That's how I knew he was coming to that corner. Yeah. And I was like, no problem. Next morning, he was in that corner. That's where he went to bed. He wasn't there that morning. The morning before Man. that, Friday morning. That's hard to counter that because you you wouldn't even expect that to happen. We still came back and hunted him at 10 o'clock. Well, yeah, and then we came back at 10 o'clock because we forgot the box call, went back to get it, and he was back in that corner. So then we hunted him the rest of the day from there till 1 or 2 o'clock and then moved on from there. Did we chase that other bird that day? We didn't. We just chased the one. No, because we had had that... What we did is we found that other bird that was on private, but he was like kind of right near a corner in public and private. Yeah. And so we were like, let's move over to this other corner. But we couldn't figure out. 
that piece of public was almost, there was a road, but other than that, it was kind of landlocked by private. You could only access it from this one road, and you had to walk, like, what, half a mile or so to get to that through some thick shit? Yeah. Yeah. So we just never ended up trying to go and hunt that other bird. But I had a lot of birds um, pinned just from, you know, riding around and right. looking weeks, months before season. And uh, pretty much every single spot, other than the bird Jordan and I hunted, and I eventually killed, other than that bird, every single spot, it's like the turkeys had just completely vanished. Um, I had trail cameras out in a few of the places, and uh, what I think the issue was is predators. I had a lot of coyotes and Mm. foxes in places I typically don't ever see them. Um, So, yeah, I mean... I kind of just had to switch it up. I'm glad that one that one worked out, but that really took some persistence to get that bird. You know, yeah. and the last morning, believe it or not, that bird switched roost about 300 yards. Did he? He was 300 yards back in the public behind where we were hunting. So on the other side of the road. Same side of the road, but you know that dim road that wrapped around the pond? Oh, right yeah, yeah, yeah. The corner? He was back up over in that hill, oh. that area right there. And... uh so the bird, we ended up posting on the edge of the fence right there, and uh, we called the bird. It took about 45 minutes, I'd so he would have he would have come in from behind you in that spot then. He did. Yeah. He actually came in from behind me, five yards to my left. You remember that big mound of dirt? Yeah. He, he walked right around that mound of dirt, went right through the barbed wire strain, strutted all the way out to my decoy, and as soon as he got to the decoy, that's when I shot him. But Albie, um, the old fellow that I met, you know, on some public land years yeah. before I told you he came out there with me, um, right before I shot, I guess he turned his head kind of to the left because he heard some putting behind me or behind us. And uh, he saw another Tom. Jesus. And we didn't hear a single Tom or, I mean, there was no evidence of any other Toms in that area. No. We only heard the one bird gobbling. I mean, he would gobble 50, 80 times. Oh, dude. Yeah, that, that gobbler was straight. I mean, going ham oh. with just a hen. There was a hen that was cackling like crazy, and every time she'd cackle, he'd gobble. And as soon as he'd gobble, she'd cackle again, and he'd gobble it again. It was the most insane morning of gobbling. I think I've, that bird gobbled at least 80 times in that span of 40 Dude, minutes, I'd say. is your phone Bluetooth to the soundboard? As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel, from business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or... 
1727 or email roman at romanvhamas.com. That's R O M A N at R O M A N V H A M M E S dot com. Offices Florida and South Carolina. I think so. Well, I was going to tell you to play it. If it was Bluetooth, I was going to tell you to play that. Uh, I've played it before. Okay. Of ours. I don't even know that I have it on my phone anymore, actually. I got too much stuff on my phone. I got yeah, me too. To I had to delete a bunch of stuff because it keeps telling me my iCloud storage is full. And I'm like, well, how can I get on there and delete some stuff off my iCloud? But I can't. Oh, that's know. just a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not technologically literate. Especially Throw when I like, um, That's yeah. why you just you find me out in the swamp trudging around somewhere. Yeah, it's so, like well, so when I got this phone, uh, the guy was like, well, "How much memory do you want?" I was like, "The most I can have." He's like, "Oh, okay." Do you, you, it's like I take pictures and I don't like deleting pictures. He's like, "Well, we have the iCloud." I was like, "Yeah, but that sucker gets full and I got to pay for it." Yeah, like, let me just store them all on my phone. When you want to show people, it's fuzzy and you got to right. You know, kind of gets annoying. <laughs> I've been dealing that I've been dealing with that myself because I got a new phone recently and I mean all the all the good the good stuff in there it's like well, hold on guys let me let me let it load right I'm I'm on the new phone dilemma myself because like my phone works perfectly and I want to get away from Verizon but the only problem I have is that the new 14s shooting 4K so that's like, a, why is that a problem. Yeah, why is that a problem? Because I don't want a new phone, but I also want a new phone. What so are you rocking with right now? Uh, I don't know, a 12, I think. I mean, I will say the cameras are pretty, pretty crazy. They're, I mean, there's three of them. Dude, well, I have three on mine, but the new, like, it shoots in 4K, and then it's got some, st- the zoom on the new ones is dumb clear. You can zoom in, and it doesn't get fuzzy. All I can say is don't trust the guy at the phone store when he tells you, yeah, this is the case. It's great. Number, rated number one for drop protection. Yeah. Hey, hey, I got I to gotta put a little ad in here. OtterBox dropped my phone 12 foot off a ladder the other day. Perfectly fine. No cracks. Dude, I've had life-proof cases for the longest time, ever since I had an iPhone, or actually before I had an iPhone, and I had great experience with those. And then they got bought out, and their cases, from what I understand, oh, aren't as great as they used to be. They're garbage now, man. But... I got, and then they gave me this the case that I originally got with this phone. He's like, oh, yeah, it's rated great for drop protection. The phone itself is pretty well waterproof. He's like, if you drop it to the bottom of a lake, it's going to get destroyed. But if you jump in the water within your pocket and go, oh, crap, it's going to be fine. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that's, that's all I really need. I mean, the so phones I got that. are like water resistant, I think, nowadays. And you can swim. I dropped, under, I've swam underwater with mine. I dropped times. this phone in a case, and it straight destroyed. I mean, you look at the camera. <laughs> Oh, oh the glass chipping out of it's it, done. right? The camera, the lenses themselves are fine, but the back of the phone's destroyed. So then I took it out of that case and put it in this little OtterBox case. And this is... I mean, the OtterBoxes yeah. are nice. I, I've always used them. It's it's easy to access the screen. You don't have that film on it like the, the life proof. Yeah. Eh, then. Y'all but, been doing any fishing lately? Dude, man, man. I know you've been doing I yes. have been time. tearing up some bass, man. Here, here's That's the all thing. I've been doing lately. I spent five days on the Swanee River, hardly fished at all. Yeah, I mean, floating down a river is just peaceful in itself. Well, last year, I fished a bunch. Because we fit, were actually catching fish. But the fishing was great. Yeah. This year, the river was down like two, three feet, and the fishing was 
terrible. What do y'all usually fish for up in the Sewanee? Or catfish? Bluegill. Bluegill? Yeah, panfish. Panfish, most of the people bass. that live there, you, there you see a lot of people doing catfish. Cat, catfish I know there's some there. flatheads in the Sewanee River. Yeah, you, when the river was up last year, it came down through there. You had guys like sitting in the river, anchored in the middle of the river with just a splay of rods laid out across the back. That's pretty and, ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a bunch of lime rock bottom. And there's plenty of holes for the catfish to hide in. It's probably a really good river for it. We fished a little bit, tried to fish on the bank, but did not have heavy enough weights to hold it on the middle, in the middle from the bank. Pretty strong current. It's caught a mudfish. three fish. miles an hour. Yeah, caught a mudfish. Mud <laughs> a big old boat yeah. in. But Those other are than fun that, to catch, man. They put up a fight. That was the only fish, the dude that caught that, the only fish he caught the entire five days over there. That's the only fish he's ever caught on the Swanee. Yeah, he didn't catch anything last year. Yeah. Well, he I've, flipped his boat over and lost his fishing poles on the first day last year. <laughs> oh, man. And then lost Matt's fishing poles. Matt's yeah. kid's fishing pole. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah, flipping a kayak. Oh, the kayak? Yeah. So what do you, I mean, I I see you, you do obviously a lot of fishing in our area. Yeah. So you're, you're fishing public land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? so, I do I mean, a little what do you bit look of for? hopping here and there, you know, just in places that are accessible that I'm not going to get kicked out. I, I like pond fishing. There's a lot of good fishing ponds, but... I've been fishing the Harris chain pretty often here recently. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing is, like, I never realized when we were kids because we grew up in Mount Dora. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to us, fishing the Harris chain was garbage. I don't, we probably I just didn't know how to fish. Too, but... When I was younger, you know, it's just, I mean, just kind of being in the outdoors, you meet a lot of people, give you a lot of tips. I mean, the fishing's honestly pretty good in the Harris chain. There's just a lot of people that fish it. I mean, you got multiple bass tournaments every year you've got mlf tournaments you've got your local tournaments that are every single week so it's always being fished out the fish yeah. are always being moved back and forth but there are some toads out there oh comparatively to you say we grew up in mount door we grew up fishing on lake ola which was a private lake crystal clear oh, yeah yeah i've heard pretty right. good things so about ola. that compare fish like a day of fishing on lake ola versus a day of fishing on lake harris I'd rather fish in Lake Ola 10 times. Oh, over. yeah. Dude, oh, we could go out to Lake Ola on like half a day and catch like 30 bass. Yeah. <laughs> but you just, the water's so clear. It's a very, yeah. very clean, healthy lake. And it that doesn't. That clear water, will, it'll scare a lot of people. I'm not the biggest fan of fishing clear water, to be dude, honest. Dude, all we ever did was just troll it pretty much. Or throw, dude, I sit there. Or Spider Man worms. Get that fire and ice. Get there and. Uh, fire and ice. Yeah, it's like a red and blue oh, culprit. I Fla- yeah, I I always use the uh, the watermelon red core. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a lake in Casha. It's actually you know kind of got me into everything. I grew up on an eighty acre fernery, backed up to Seminole Forest. Yeah, great pond to fish behind the house. I mean, that's all I did. You know, sorry, mom, I didn't do my homework in middle school. I was fishing <laughs> every day, <laughs> but that's kind of what got me into doing everything that I do now. I kind of owe it all to that place there the few years that i spent there growing up it's funny because I, I i grew we grew up like we said we grew up fishing like ola so mm-hmm. i went there with a buddy who does a lot of fishing on the harris chain he mm-hmm. put his boat in he likes to fish there every now and then i still know people that live there so we can get access to the boat ramp and throw a boat in well he's out there he fishes a lot of the local tournaments he's big time bass fisherman and he's right. got all this tackle all this, he's throwing this and throwing that and i'm like meh no nah. i mean it's kind of cloudy i thought i'm gonna throw this bone white jerk bait 10 minutes, I'd caught four fish. I was like, I told you, man, just switch over something like this. No, man, I, this this worm right here should be doing it. I'm like, brother, 
I've got the proof that it's not. There are certain baits yeah. <laughs> that we call skunk baits because if you throw it, you ain't getting skunked. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I was spoiled. Another time I was spoiled when I lived in Georgia, I had a retention pond that was on the far side of the neighborhood. It was crystal clear. It had to be spring fed because the water level never dropped. Beautiful, clean water. And it had, I mean, dinks in it. If you caught a pound and a half bass, that was a big one. Oh, gotcha. But let me tell you, I went out there on a cloudy day. You take that bone white one to three foot diver jerk bait, uh-huh. throw it out there. I went 15 for 15 casts before I didn't catch a fish. I mean, I would fish I would fish until I got bored of catching fish and then just go home. There's certain lakes like that. I, I've got a lake right down the road from my house in Umatilla. It probably splits our houses yeah. in distance. And uh, my buddy lives on it. There's only two other houses that live on it. But it's only, it's probably a three-acre lake. I yeah. mean, it's a straight sinkhole. It's pretty deep, crystal clear. Nothing but dinks, man. I mean, dink city, but you're going to catch them all day. But they're aggressive. They're aggressive. Um, I'm not sure why I don't catch big fish in there because I fished it so many times. Never caught one over maybe a pound and a half, just like you're talking about. Yeah. But there are orange groves that run all all the way around it pretty much. So I don't know if maybe the pesticide runoff has anything to do with it. Well, you know, it's funny. We were talking to a fisheries biologist a while back, and he was... One thing we as lay people look at a lake and we associate clear water with healthy. Yeah. That's not always true. You go to a lot of lakes up in the scrub, mm-hmm. crystal clear. Crystal clear. Not super healthy lakes. Yep. There's not a lot of the lake itself is crystal clear, but a lot of the bottom is sand. There's not a lot of vegetation in the bottom. There's not a lot of uh, stuff around the edges. There's a little bit of grass, a little bit of stuff growing in the bottom. So there's not other places for bait to hide. Therefore, you don't produce bigger fish because there's less food. There's plenty of fish there, and the water, the lake itself is clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the water itself is healthy, but the fishery is not. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of places like that, man. Man, there's there's been ponds that I found out in the scrub. I mean, as soon as you dip your line in the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, left and right. I, I've found a lot of nice fish out there too, man. But just over time, it eventually dries up. I was going to say, that's another thing with the scrub, too, Mitt. Ooh, sorry. That was a mean burp. But you walk around the scrub, and you see all these lakes, and you're like, man, I bet that thing holds a lot of fish. And then you get to the dry time of the year, and ain't got no water in it. You're like, yep. Huh. Bet it don't. Yeah. Yeah, That's why there's no fish in there. That's why there's no fish in there, yeah. But I'll forever love going on fishing in the scrub, You ever fished Sellers Lake? Mm Mm-hmm. Sellers Lake is it's, it's a typi- tough one. Man. It's typically hit or miss, but the last few t- few years that I've been fishing it, it's been uh, producing a lot of fish. Um, I went out there about two months ago, I'd say, um, caught a lot of chunky three pound fish. Yeah, I'll say it's one of those ones where like the big lake is one of those areas that doesn't have a lot of vegetation, and that but that there's was a lot of small estuaries off of it. The key to the bite is. I wouldn't, I'm not going to say exactly where at on the lake, you know, but if you're from around here and you've been on the lake, you probably already know where it's at. But I found some offshore grass in about 20 foot of water. Mm-hmm. Smash them on a crankbait. Square bill, rolling it through there. Swim baits. Oh, man. Good times. I, I like fishing there, and I used to fish uh, Farls a lot. Farleys? Yeah. Yeah. 
get out there in a canoe. Oh, and I forgot fish we did lake. used to fish there a lot. Yeah, my dude, cousin, we'd go there and fish the mess of that with shiners. My mm-hmm. cousin, believe it or not, caught a that's actually a really good way to fish off that. the boat ramp. Just oh yeah. a worm. Dude, every time I take the kid, I like to take the kids there to fish because they can fish, they can swim in the boat ramp, all that stuff, and I'll take them. They won't fish with worms. I'm like, go buy me about a dozen shiners. Oh, yeah. And just on a bobber way out past the weed, let the sucker swim around. Dude, we used to sit there with shiners and get piss drunk. <laughs> <laughs> used to. You talk about like that wasn't like, I don't know, a year ago maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That sounds like the a good only time. problem with those and fishing from the bank and in, in those lakes up in the scrub is they get packed full of people in the summertime. Oh yeah, and it's a great spot to swim. A lot of interesting people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of people watching to do out there. But I like taking, like I said, I like taking the kids up there because they can just like I'm. You're done. I'm done fishing, Dad. Can I swim? Get after it, buddy. I'm gonna sit over here with my bobber and my beer. Kidding yeah. me? At that point, he gets in the water. I'm out there, chest deep, going, "Yeah, keep swimming, drinking a beer, it's cool, <laughs> cool off myself." Yeah. Oh man, I love this scrub. The scrub is just such a. So many people take it for granted, man. Absolutely, absolutely, man. People need to. Uh, well, we all did at one point or another, but yeah. Well, yeah, everybody's young once, you know. But some people tend to not grow up like the rest of us, you know. It's just yeah. the main thing is. Picking up after yourself. I was gonna say, I, mm-hmm. I caught myself out there when we were when I was turkey hunting with Cody out there driving around. I'm like, oh man, these little shitheads tearing up this road. Dude, this like, entire he's like, road. He's like, yeah, but weren't we those shitheads at one point? I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but dude, this in, this entire road is like a dumpster on each side of the road. There's couches. <laughs> we were, listen, man. We, me and Jordan actually. He's like, man, if if you eventually kill this bird, you got to come back and take a picture of him on the couch. Mm. Man, and I the forgot cushions. to do it. I forgot I to take the picture on the couch. The cushions for the couch and everything were there. They were just scattered out. Oh, dude, I was it, like, it was a great <laughs> resting come, place. The couch is like right in the middle of this pile of trash. I'm like, you got to throw yeah, them up on there and lay nice it on the little, couch with Nice them. little scrub oak tree with some shade. It's a good spot. Man, I don't know what that what, what it is about that and why there's so much trash in the Ocala National Forest. Man. And I, and I want to I point this out to you, Jordan. How much trash did we see riding around in the state forest in Tennessee? None. Equal I, equal amount of houses probably around there, like oh, equally yeah. as populated. Yeah, and I didn't there's see no garbage trash. there. Well, I mean, it's just as literally just as simple to access the same amount by vehicle. Yeah. Well, there. the issue with Ocala is there's a lot of little underlying communities out there. Yeah, and none of them have a garbage route, so they have to take all their trash to the dump. Yeah, well, they're underlying uh, trailer hoods. That's what yeah, they are. underlying. But it's the same parts. thing. Same thing in Tennessee. We're yeah. at. there is no garbage man. There's a, lo- a community dumpster. Well, those we people put would just raise better because these. people Well, have also, I think the the no thing disregard. is there. The majority of those people out there, I would say, probably sixty percent of them, live on twenty acres or more. Yeah. Oh, in, in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And like. Junior had, they probably have their own trash dump. Yeah, like their own pile mm-hmm. in their property. Well, yeah, it's like anywhere, yeah. even in South Georgia. If you got a, if they got a piece of property and there's a big washout in it, they're just dumping all their trash in the washout. His house. I mean, not. I would say like 
household garbage, like garbage bags full of garbage, but but big garbage couches and things like that. Because he had that dump back there with a washing machine and a fridge and yeah, old crap yeah. like that. You and find one in he, South Georgia, it's liable to have a car in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just where he he historically dumped his larger garbage that he couldn't get in the dumpster. Yeah, and I don't know, but you don't see it. I never saw any of that stuff like that out on the state forest. Now you you might be walking through the state forest and find a car down through the trees. Well, I think another There's thing, a good but it, it's not a new car. It it's like, oh yeah, like that guy probably ended up <clears throat> that it's guy like probably ended up down Bel-Air. there. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know how that 56 Bel Air ended up down there? It's a it's a 46 Bel Air <laughs> and it ended up down there cuz that's where it ended up when he was running from the cops running moonshine. Yep. Ended up down in that holler and they couldn't ever oh, get yeah. it out. Yeah. They are in the heart of it up there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, man. That I was think- that was my favorite part about hunting up there, right? Because the old man's property that I hunted butted up to the state forest we went back and hunted, and he's since passed away. But we sat there, and we talked to him about his days when he ran Moonshine. Oh, he was a Moonshine. Oh, he so. was, yes. Uh, he he uh, worked for the timber company and ran Moonshine, and he got caught. Now, and he was in front of the federal judge in Nashville, and the guy let him off easy. You know, don't ever run it again, or I'm putting you in prison. So he never ran, ran moonshine again, but he, we loaded up in his trapping truck one day and he drove us around that state forest. And he's like, I used to have a still down there. I had a still over here. I had a still over there on that Creek. Just here, there, there. Could you there. imagine living in those times? That's good. be crazy. But listening to the stories that old man had about that little area right there that they lived in. Uh, dude, I loved it. I think that's the huge thing about, the difference between Tennessee and Florida is you get these people that most of the people that live there are generational people. Generational and history. Yeah. From there. Yeah. yeah. And you, you get people that live around the outskirts of Ocala. They're not generational people. They're people that ended up there somehow and they don't care. Those generational people care about that land around them mm-hmm. because they yeah, watched it, what it went through possible. in their generation. It's possible. I've, I've seen a lot of people. Um, so my dad, he lives in one of those little neighborhoods out there in the scrub. And he's lived out there for probably about 12 years now. And, um, man, there's been so many people that have moved out there. New pieces of land that they bought from, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how you get it because that's, that's national land. Right. But they get plots It's probably just been plotted out for yeah, a long they, time. Yeah, they get plots out there. And, uh, I mean, the neighborhood's grown a lot. It's just the type of people because it is, you know, it's kind of like Section 8. It's cheap to live out there. Super right. cheap. The people that are living out there, it's just... I they're cheap. To, they're super cheap. They're Section 8 people. I mean... Well, well no, I, I wouldn't well, even say that. Say it's not people, that. It's yeah. just there's a lot of drugs that, that yeah. go on out there. And I feel like that's the issue, man. It's it's not a friendly place to be anymore. No. You know, I used, to, I used to walk street to street back when I was a teenager, you know, Shooting doves, squirrels, you know, pests for people. Everybody was friendly. Everybody was kind. I never got chewed out for anything. You know, you can't walk down the street anymore with a gun. Somebody's going to call the cops. Like, you have <laughs> you have those kind of people out there, too, you know, that don't even... I mean, we're, we're literally... That's got to be... That's got to five miles in the scrub right now. You know, I, th- I think you're onto something, Jordan. I think that that really is... Could be one of the core differences is that even... Like even now, dude, I walk down the side of the road. I walk down the side of the road up there a mile and a half down the side of that major thoroughfare coming from because when we'd wander off, dude, because so we had this piece of property and it was 97 acres. Yeah. The private land was, but it butted up to the state forest. 
Oh, so you had a nice little easement. Oh, we had 1,000 or 14,897 acres to hunt on. Nice. <laughs> so we'd wander right off the back of the property and go hunt onto the state forest. Well, when it come to chasing turkeys, buddy, you were all over the dang place. Mm-hmm. So you'd get back off, and next thing you know, I'm a mile and a half down the road coming out the state forest, and I was walking down the road carrying a shotgun. People honking wave. Yeah. Hey, you'd have people be, pull man. over and be like, you need a ride? Where's your truck? That's how it used to be out here. Yeah. You know? It's just there's been so many people that have moved here in the last 10 years. I mean, the last five years has just gotten insane here in Lake County. Oh, absolutely. You can't even cross you got to make sure you go to a stoplight somewhere in Umatilla because you're going to wait 30 minutes across 19. Oh, Umatilla <laughs> has gotten bad. Umatilla used to be such a quiet, friendly place, man. I mean, it still is friendly. I love it out there. but uh, So, it's all I'm saying is everything went downhill when the stoplight at Spokers quit flashing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i got a question for you, Cody. You do enough public land. we got kind of a theory here that... So, uh, it's become the trend, right, with with hunting gear getting lighter and uh, saddles being a thing yep. that everybody E-bikes. has. E- e-bikes. Yeah, e-bikes. Oh, I think yeah. e-bikes are a huge part of it. Everybody's side deep, 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 deep. Like, you need to go deeper. It's We're, we're yeah. in that where that everybody's going so deep that you're almost going to want to start to hunt in shallow. Because Listen, man, the, the people were hunting deep and they're driving the deer back up to the front again. I used to have the same ideals. You know, man, I just need to get as far back up in there as I can. You know, and uh, I've wasted a lot of time. <laughs> I've wasted a lot of time. I've gotten unnecessarily bit by a lot of bugs for no reason. You know, there's been a lot of spots. I just dip off the road. I find a good crossing, a lot of tracks. If you know it's fresh, you can you can tell if it's fresh or not. Um, I kind of quit going off. I'd like to hunt in the areas of scrapes and rubs, but really, I just want to find a good crossing that is fresh. I want to see fresh tracks through there. You can tell the deer are moving through there daily. I mean, that's how I've been killing deer the last few years. I used to trek so far back in there. I mean, that and it can still be a good thing, but there's a lot of uh, overlooked spots not far from the road is what I would say. Absolutely. The Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in the hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. The e-biking thing, though, man, a lot of people are just going super deep pocket with it. It's expensive, a lot of this gear. So I I would say, like just like you said, uh, and I've said it before, and I told Jake that this, you can sit here and think you got to go deeper and people will pass up obvious deer sign to hunt further from the truck. Yep. Like just hunt the deer sign, man. Dude, I told Jake, I said, if you can find a spot where you have fresh tracks going in both directions, sit there. You'll see deer. Yeah. Give it three days. 
If you don't see deer in, in out, not even three days, I would say if you don't see deer in three sits, yep, I have, a, I have a three sit rule. Yeah, and then I'll move. You know, um, some I mean some the deer are nomadic; they will move from right. area to area. You know, you just kind of have to find what's the most fresh and go off of that. Like this past year with the broken ankle, I obviously couldn't get very far in the woods. The spot that I saw the biggest buck of my life was a hundred yards from where you park a truck on a main trail. Oh, that, so this, this eight point we talked about earlier that I shot with my bow. I had never hunted in that area before, never stepped foot into it to scout. Got out late that afternoon to the stand because I went and checked the site on my, checked the zero on my bow because I dropped the bow. Yep. So still on, put my climber on my back, wandered out there. They had freshly logged like fifth road, a bunch of pines in there. And I came on a Y in a logging road where, where the road used to be. And then it wide off to the right for a logging road. Yeah. And I saw tracks going north and south on the old road and then tracks going north and south on the logging road. And I said, I'm going to sit right here in the Y. And I climbed up that tree and I sat down and I was like, man, I really feel like something's watching me. And I'm like looking around and then I look over my shoulder and he was standing in the road behind me about 120 yards looking down the road towards where I was sitting. And I was like, you had just gotten in the tree. I hadn't been in the tree 20 minutes. Oh man. Both bucks I killed on Fort Campbell. I saw within 20 minutes of being in the tree stand. Um, but that he showed up, he's a hundred or so yards behind me. And I was like, well, it's a bit too far to shoot with a bow. Uh, so I grabbed my grunt call, grunt a little bit, you know, so what am I got to lose? Catch his attention. Yeah, right. Didn't see, he walked off, he was with another six point. Didn't see him again for two and a half hours. And then it got like right there, the last little bit just before, that I was in that 30 minute window Yeah. to close everything out. And I was like, hey, you know what, I'll give it one more shot. Brrr. I was like, well, all right. And then I see legs in the brush to my right. I was like, ooh, got some deer coming out. I wasn't going to shoot the six point. The six point steps out at like 30 yards. I was like, yeah, all right, no big deal. I said, hopefully the other guy's still with him. Yeah. And I look and I see him coming 30 yards behind him. I was like, oh, buddy. He came in 15 yards, stood there, like perfectly broadside. And I was like, I cannot move. He's dead in the open. He can see me playing this day. He's looking back down the road where he came from. Then he turns quarters away from me and starts feeding. I was like, you've got to be shitting me. Joe, right there, 15 yards. He went 60 yards, piled up dead. Cannot beat that. No, Dude, I, I never had that happen Oh, again. man, I love them logging trails. Yeah. I, I, I am uh, nervous as shit to start out this bow season. Why? <clears throat> I've taken so many years off of bow season. I don't think I've bow hunted. I haven't like, bow hunted in a few years. Yeah, either. I don't You've think I've strictly doing a lot bow of filming. hunted. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I do I do gun hunting too, but or in muzzle loader. But I haven't like dedicated some time to bow hunting and man, easy three years. Listen, I man. think a lot of people sleep on muzzle loader season. Listen, I, that's our I rut. wanted to address yeah. muzzle loader season here for a minute. I had. This was my first muzzleloader season. This past season, I'd never hunted with a muzzleloader. My friend was getting rid of one, super cheap, you know. 
he was pretty much just going to give it away. I was like, you know what? I'll take it. It works. I'll take it. Just iron sights on it, you know. I'm like, they did it back in the day. I'm going to do it iron sights. Right. So I sighted it in to about, it was 75 yards, dead nuts. Which is plenty for muzzle loader. Yeah, it's great. So uh, we pulled the luck of the draw. We pretty much won the lottery. We uh, we went in there. We scouted. Galton, and this place straight up looks like a Georgia pine plantation. You know, you, from the road, from the highway, yeah. you would never expect it. it looks just like swamp. But no, you get in there. It's like lime lime rock roads, pines everywhere, scattered cabbage palm swamps, you know, here and there. But uh, pretty cool place. So... I mean, I'm, I'm in the boot still. Still got a, a cracked ankle. I find this spot. It's about a 500-yard walk from where you can park a truck on a logging trail. And it opened up, and they had cleared like a 100-yard section, just like a little loop. And the road continued for another two miles before you hit another road you can drive. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit right here. First day, first sit, first morning, big old eight-point comes out. I mean... I've been in the, I've been in the stand twenty minutes maybe and I haven't even put a grunt out or anything you know I'm just getting my stuff set up getting everything ready. He walks out at seventy five yards and I'm like, jaw drop. This is a nice deer. I put my gun on the rest. Boom, smoke. I see the deer run off. I'm like, man. I was like, I I know I got him. You know, I I had to have gotten him. He was. 75 yards what could go wrong you know a lot uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh my buddy heard the shot he was hunting you know three four hundred yards from me he came over you know about i'd say two hours after the shot we started trailing i found the deer's walking track because it was some pretty kind of soft mud where he went into no blood nothing it's like the deer just heard the shot and like "Eh, i'm gonna get out of here Tracked him for like three or four hours, pretty much until we needed to go back and sit back in the stand again. And uh, so, yeah, we came to the conclusion that I missed. And I, <laughs> we went to the rifle range. There's a rifle range like 20, 30 minutes down the road. We went there just to check. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm shooting within an inch of the bullseye. There's, there's no way. I mean, I'm still. I'm still kind of in awe of that. I don't know what. Sounds like shooter error to me. You just got the you got the, yeah. the shakes and. Oh, I get a, I get a little overstimulated from time to time. Stimulated. That's that dude. That's why, and I say people sleep on muzzleloader season because oh, the story gets better. Not to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. So, same evening, get back. I I move like twenty yards, thirty yards closer. Uh, huge yellow jacket nest under mm. the tree, by the way. But I'm like, man. I saw, so I did see another little buck later, later that evening, you know, I just wasn't going to shoot it. He was like a hundred yards. Um, but I did notice a good crossing down that trail just before you get to that clearing. So I was like, man, I should probably get on the, the inside of that clearing right there. So I did. And, uh, that evening down that trail where I saw the deer crossing, I had a 10 point step out, probably like 110, 115 inch deer. He was probably 90 yards. So I put it you know, right pretty much on the, I'd say on the blade of his shoulder. I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss this deer. You know, let a good breath out, cracked it off. Deer jumped like I, like I hit it, you know, I'm like, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm trying to get the old primer out. You know, I need to reload my gun. Never could get it out. I, I look back up and the deer's walking to me the same way. <laughs> could never reload 
a primer in my gun and he walked all the way into about 45 yards and was just gonna, just kind of fucking off for like 10 minutes and i'm just sitting here like uh, what do i do what, what can i do what do i do and uh i end up seeing six bucks and two days of hunting that place in the same spot didn't see a doe didn't see anything else all i saw was bucks early november great time great time to be in the woods. <laughs> yeah. but I, I may have to make some adjustments this year like a scope yeah <laughs> yeah uh, dude i can tell you so it, if you're muzzleloader hunting right this some things that'll change your world as far as because people like and i've heard it said plenty of before oh well i got a you know pie plate size group that's great for a muzzleloader that's all i need they're not that accurate anyway wrong first thing you can do to massively increase your accuracy with muzzleloader Quit shooting them freaking pellets. They are garbage. The pellets. Pyrodex pellets. Like the actual like it's lead the balls. powder. No, it's no, like no. you're talking about the powder. You, you the pelletized powder. That's like it's like oh. this is fifty grains. Two oh, of these makes a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Don't shoot pyrodex pellets. They're hot garbage. Okay. They don't burn. Yeah, they that's don't what, that's they what don't I was shooting. They don't burn consistently. Cause I was shooting I, I have a Thompson Center uh Triumph. Bone collector edition, like a seven hundred dollar muzzleloader I bought at a gun store used for a hundred bucks, and I was shooting pellets out of that when I first got it, and I was shooting like a two inch group, two two and a half inch group at hundred yards, and I was like, that's pretty good. And then I started reading, and people are like, oh, you know, the consistency because accuracy is a hundred percent comes from consistency. So the more consistent you can make each shot, the more accurate you're going to be. So I measure and I switch from shooting pellets because their burn rate is not consistent. Yeah. From shooting pellets to loose powder. And I measure all my loose powder with a powder measure that's separate from uh, the the measure on the speed loader that I keep it in. Because I shoot 100 grains of powder. And when I put it in the speed loader, it says it's like between 95 and 98 grains. So you know the powder measure on the speed loader is not accurate. Yeah. So I measure with that powder measure, put it in there, and then I shoot, you know, a, a full bore bullet. I don't shoot a, a Sabot. You don't Sabo. shoot a Sabot? No. Okay. So I shoot a full bore 50 caliber bullet, and I'm shooting powder. And I went from shooting a two and a half, three inch group to shooting half inch at 100 yards. That's crazy. Like for... that. Yeah. And consistently shooting that small of a group at 100 yards. And I can carry that group out to 200, 250 with that muzzleloader. That's impressive. Because the the consistency and the burn of loose powder is much, much greater than with pellets. Oh, so you think it's loose powder in a inside of a casing? What? Like for a, a regular gun. Yeah, it's, your, it, yeah, loose powder inside your brass, inside your, it's loose yeah. powder in there. So Loose powder seems less convenient, because you can't just like carry a box of them and drop two in there. But the speed loader that I have, I bought off Thompson Center's website. It's like 30 bucks. And it's a like a four-cylinder, I think, revolver style. Okay. And I set it on top of there. And you pull the little starter handle up, twist it over, and it drops loose powder and a bullet on top. Then I start my bullet with that, pull it off, and then ramrod oh, the rest of the way down clever. in there. I yeah. like that. And it's, dude, it's sweet. Holds yeah. all my primers. Has a little thing, a little tool on the bottom. So if a primer gets stuck, I can wedge it in there and pop the primer out. I should have, uh, I should have did a little more research, but I didn't let myself get down that wormhole. You know, I, I, I let myself get down the wormhole of archery and, uh, my, yeah. 
Well, that's Your brain can't contain. I think the wormhole of hunting is never ending, right? Because, like you said, oh, yeah. you, you get into archery, you go down a wormhole, but then you can't sleep on muzzleloader season, like William said. Well, so you obviously well, have to go down that wormhole. But a lot of people do, and I think it's because of the popularity of archery. Yeah, right. It got really popular. But the, when I talk about consistency, breeding accuracy, if you're a bow hunter, you understand very well. Well, maybe you don't, but you you have a after a certain select amount without, of failures you will understand well here's the thing you may be doing it without realizing it maintaining consistency you have to have the same form the same anchor point every time yeah. the same that's why they have kisser buttons and things like that that mm-hmm. help you anchor in the same place every time to have that consistent accuracy so but you go to muzzleloader and a lot of guys who love bow hunting they'll bow hunt all season Guys who are like, bah, bow hunt sometimes, but I mainly rifle hunt. Yeah. They'll sometimes muzzleloader hunt. A lot of times they'll skip over that just wait for rifle season to come in. But muzzleloader hunting, especially when it comes not just white-tail deer, but elk. Yeah. They give away, they, they sell muzzleloader tags for elk too, man. Yeah. And there's a whole lot less people trying to buy those than there are people trying to buy archery tags and rifle tags. A whole lot less than there are trying to buy rifle tags. Oh, yeah. They're out there. Yeah. And... With the proper setup, you can take an elk at 150, 200 yards with a muzzleloader. Yeah. I wouldn't go beyond, much beyond that. I mean, you got to think. That's that's a pretty big projectile. Listen. Well, you call people crazy, but Caleb has come in. Caleb Cotting came in, who guides in New Mexico, and says that he shot elk at what, like 800 yards with a muzzleloader? No. You ain't shooting. Not, no. That's what he said. You can, you, not an elk, mule deer, well, 800 yards of muzzleloader. I feel like one, you, it was probably was mule deer. I think but, you're over-exaggerating what he said. I don't think you're shooting anything at 800 yards of muzzleloader. It was a pretty good, really it, was, accurate, it was a distance ethical. where most people are like, eh. 400 maybe. Yeah. Mule deer, 400 yards with the right muzzleloader, sure. The problem is, is you're not getting the muzzle velocity out of a muzzleloader that you need to efficiently penetrate an animal at that far. Yeah, fair enough. Because they're just not designed for muzzle velocity. But if you can kill it with a bow, you can kill it with a muzzleloader. What you have to keep in mind with a muzzleloader, though, is it's not a modern smokeless rifle. Yeah. If you can kill a deer at 50 yards with a bow, you can kill it at 75 to 100 with a muzzleloader. Right? You, your distance is shortened over your average rifle hunting with a muzzleloader. But it still takes practice, and it takes you, you go out there and you shoot your muzzleloader, and you're shooting loose powder, and you're like, "Well, this thing still only shoots a four-inch group." Well, maybe you need to look at what bullet you're shooting. Yeah, change yeah, up grain I mean, weights even, and bullets. Even with a rifle, you know, you should do your practice and you know do your due diligence at the range because I've made that mistake in the past. Actually, one of the biggest bucks I've killed on public land here, I shot during a rifle hunt on a quota, and uh, I missed. Twice, but luckily uh, the odds were with me that day. I had good wind, good good sound coverage. Everything was perfect, and he was he let me get a third shot on him, and I was able to take him that time. But it wasn't until I really piped down on myself. I'm like, what are you doing? It's it's like right. you forgot everything you have ever learned just because you got excited. Right. You know, sometimes you really just got to take a step Been back and breathe. I I struggle with it every year, but I have been getting better. You know, I just, I'm so passionate about the stuff, man. 
I just get so pumped when I see Dude, it. Dude, and I, this is going to sound crazy too. The best thing you can do to help yourself be able to make that rifle shot when your heart is going boom, 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 boom. Do a ridiculous amount of jumping jacks. Get yourself completely out of breath. Get your heart pounding because you're fat and out of shape. Yeah. And you're just... Then... Try to make an accurate shot. Yeah. Because then you'll learn inadvertently from, you know, you, you create the same scenario without the adrenaline, but you also learn how to control your breathing, slow your heart rate down, take the shot. And that's a thing. You that's, a, that's a big thing they do. We did that all the time in the military. They called it a stress shoot. Yeah. And they will just run you back and forth, run you ragged, and then, all right, fire for accuracy, you know, 50 to 300 meters. Yep. And that's and it proves the saying is right. It's shoot, to teach you to shoot under pressure. Shoot in the conditions you'll be hunting. In. Right. You know, and, and and that's easier said than done. You know, not not a lot of people are going to go and run a mile or get them. They they just don't think about it like me. I, I don't really think about that when I'm practicing, but I should. You right. Know? Well, it's because you assume that when you're sitting in a tree stand, you're not going to be out of breath. But when you get buck fever. It's just well, like and it's a real breath. thing. Too. It's not. It's not being not so much being out of breath when you have buck fever, as much as it is your adrenaline, your heart rate. Right. You learn at that point how to control all aspects of your body that are out of control. Yep. Zone into the moment, take the shot, and then just yeah. You know, bo- Unfold, go, go back. Get excited right. after you know right. the shot. That's so hard though. It it is you know, but you, you work so hard. You work so hard for that that one opportunity, and I have blew so many of them, man, just Dude, because I, I was just so pumped. <laughs> I, I mm. you want to <laughs> hear something? I've never successfully harvested a buck with a bow, and I have been bow hunting for twelve years. That now that was I the first thing I ever shot a, with a bow. I've killed many does. <laughs> I've killed many does. I've killed many pigs. I've killed a bunch of stuff with a bow, but. As soon as I see horns, it's like a switch, just like that, and so, I am shaking like a leaf. So, being that, like you said, you've never successfully harvested a buck with a bow, right? And William harvested his first buck with a bow in Tennessee. My first buck with a bow was in Georgia. So that kind of takes us back to Florida hunting in an aspect. Like, so when I started really dove into public land in Florida in twenty two. Right, because like years past high school and everything, I eh, every now and yeah. then hunted Ocala, but I just kind of walked out and like set up stands and places. But like this year, I actually tried to scout it, and I tried to scout like WMAs yeah. that I got, but I didn't That's know a good sound. it is a good sound. <laughs> I didn't know like coming into hunting Florida because I've I've we've said it several times on the podcast. I've hunted South Georgia my whole entire life. Yeah. And it's a completely different landscape. So Everything I mean, is. what are, what are the things you know outside of you said you're looking for like press tracks, but like landscape wise, if you're coming to hunt public Florida, what are some of the things that you're looking for landscape wise when you're trying to find deer? Mainly like transitions. You know, if I can find a couple different, I'd say merging habitats. Can I get you a podium real quick so you can stand on the mound and preach a sermon? Uh, many times I've said, hunt the transition line, hunt the transition line, hunt the transition line. <laughs> the transitions, man. I mean, that's generally generally what the bucks are going to be using. It's it's great cover, especially when they have thick bedding on one side. You know, you might have 
I don't know, a cypress head over here. You know, it's good place for them to hang out midday. You might have a food source over here. You have kind of like a trifecta. They don't need to leave. That definitive transition you see all the time across Florida is is this one right here. And it's the easiest spot. The easiest one to spot would be pines and palmetto flat versus 10-foot scrub. And they yeah. bump right into each other. There's no visible road there. Yeah. But there's a freaking deer trail from all hell yeah. right down, right or, between the two of them. Or another yeah. good one you can spot if, you know, because I like to use Onyx find spots wherever go to yeah. them. Another a good one you can scouting. spot is the difference between pines and a bayhead. Mm-hmm. Say that again? A bayhead? Yeah. Like like bay trees? Yeah, a bay tree. Yeah. So, like, a good bayhead and pines is another, because if you look on Onyx and you look at pines and a bayhead, you've got a real dark green. And you typically find water right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, your bayhead. Like Lake George, like, that's what the majority you, of Lake George WMA is just planted pines and bayheads everywhere. Yeah. What, what you also find in those... You know, pines, bayheads is a ridiculous amount of mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God Keep the thermocell now. ready. That's anywhere you hunt. I bring, two, I bring two thermocells with me everywhere I go. I'm going to show you a trick afterwards. Okay, yeah. You can cut to, it down to one. Okay, you'll have to show me. But, yeah, he's got it down I'll to take, a I'll take now. any advice I can. On I, figured, I figured thermocells Probably don't want to breathe in the fumes that come off of it. But No, you used to. I guarantee you, you used to. Yeah, you'll have to tell me off camera. This is we'll, a we'll get we'll get it. We've talked about it before, but I don't want to rehash that again. But <laughs> but yeah, those transitions, man. I, I really try to focus on like three different habitats coming together. I typically find good success there. A lot of deer, a lot of deer movement. So how much how much of a effect does water play into where you try to? Uh, I don't really. Right, I mean, if if you're like just, I can tell you scrub, right now. In the state of Florida, hunting a "quote unquote" water source is not a uh, good place to hunt. So, I not a bad place, but it's especially not. in the scrub because there's so much. So, water in, everywhere. in the scrub, I have focused on. There's a lot of little ponds everywhere out in the scrub. You know, especially when you're on higher, sandier <laughs> ground. Um, I really haven't done well next to the water sources. Um, there's a one. There's one spot. For example, I've hunted it for about 10 years now. The first few years I hunted it, it was probably, it's like a, a one acre pond, I'd say. It was probably Is two Is it to that three one where we sat next to and we turkey hunted? Your stand was hanging there? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That one pond? Yeah. But it was full when we went there yeah. from the hurricane. And uh, I'd say the first three, four years I hunted it, I mean, I would see does here and there, maybe a spike, you know, really, I just really wouldn't see any bucks holding in that area. We had a drought one year, and that whole lake bed almost turned into like a food plot. I mean, the deer were just trampling across it, and I killed my biggest buck opening day of gun season that year when it was dry. Every year since then, it's held water, and I really haven't seen many bucks. So I don't know. So it's probably not idea to follow, you know, uh, drought patterns. <laughs> but no, because wa- water, look. Deer need water to survive. Hunting water in Florida, not a solid bet to find deer. Yeah. Go to Tennessee, where we were at there, when the creek was running heavy. We had a seasonal creek on the front half of that property. Deer frequented the front half of that property more when the creek was up than when it was dry. There's not as much standing water there. 
Yeah. In Florida, standing water is everywhere. It's everywhere. everywhere. In the road. I mean, golly. Standing water is everywhere. Forage is everywhere. And yeah. bedding and the cover forage, is they, everywhere. They get, a lot of, they get a lot of H2O from the forage, too. I was going right. to say, that was a thing for me when I first started hunting the scrub. It's like, good God, forage is everywhere. Oh, it's... L- like, you know... It's what, a little intimidating. What am I looking for forage-wise? Right. Where where did we shoot? The, where did I shoot that buck at this year? What 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 were we hunting on when we saw that deer? Oh, we were on a transition, transition line. Yeah, you transition from scrub, thick scrub to palmetto flat. Yeah, every time you see a deer in the woods, if it's not crossing road, where's that? In a transition area. Right. Well, yeah, the one deer, the one deer that we saw the first day. Where was it? Transition area. Right on the edge of the transition area. Yeah. Yeah. You it in in the thick 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 crap that we have to hunt yeah. in here so would you consider like where we saw that saddle set up right it went from it may not be a quote-unquote transition area but it went from really well, thick so meadows to open what you had there was if you noticed to our left not far from there when we kept walking we hit high water yeah but you had an area where that person was set where deer could freely move uh adjacent to the palmetto flat Adjacent to that transition area and in between that and the water. Yeah. And there was plenty to forage on in there. That would That's a travel corridor. Okay. But it was forced that way because of the water. Now, if you receded the water back 800 yards, that, that area might be shit. Yeah. So, that's what I'm saying. You still you want to follow your, your... You're hunting high water, not low water. Yeah, I was going to say, you want to follow your water patterns. Because like he said, when the water was low, they were in that lake bed. But like Great for soil. us, the water was high, so it forced him up into that Correct. area better. I mean, it's just situational, you know, on whatever land you're hunting. Right. But um, but yeah, the transitions that where I was hunting off the river, it really it just came from river swamp straight to uh, a big strand of oaks, and then on the other side of the strand of oaks was palmetto flat, like open pines, palmetto flat, and it branched in the scrub. So I mean along that that whole transition area they were just moving left and right they weren't coming from the river they're moving left and right along the edge along of it. the edge of it yeah get I, I so we we talked about like about buck fever mm-hmm. and i would say for me uh, i have to have it one of two ways i either have to only have such a split second of a chance at seeing this deer that I'm not exactly sure how big it is, but I know, damn, that's a big deer. Yeah. And I'm going to shoot it. Or, two, I have to have been able to watch that deer for a solid minute, minute and a yeah. half, two, three, and, and make a conscious decision to go, okay, this is what it is. This is where I think it's going to go. This is where I'm going to make my shot. Like, I can walk myself through that setup. If I have, if I could only see the deer for 30 minutes, I'm going to screw it up every time. Yeah. Or for thirty seconds, I'm gonna screw it up every time. For me, um, like the 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 nine the big nine point I shot that I've got hanging in my living room that I shot in Georgia. Yeah, I uh, look to my right, <laughs> and I look to my left, and I look back to my right, and look to my left, and I went, "Damn, that's a big deer!" Pow! Yeah, I mean, didn't even know it was a buck. That's how all, it goes. all I looked and I saw a deer that was over two hundred pounds. I said. And then yeah, that's a threw up and shot it. Yeah, I was like, if that's you didn't a even doe, zoom your scope in or anything. No, I shot it on three powered, like 130 yards. Man, yeah. I've had a lot of times where... And I had my scope zoomed out because I was waiting to shoot a deer that I had wounded earlier, and they were trying to find it, and I was hoping where I was going to shoot it before it crossed onto the neighbor's property. 
Yeah. yeah. We've told the it's story several times. It's always good to have your scope zoomed out when you start hunting. Yeah. Because I've had the mistake to where I was walking down a road or something mm-hmm. many a times and I go to throw up on a deer and I'm like, I can't see. And by the time I get my, yeah, the deer's gone. The 13 point that I shot. 13 point. Yeah. In Kentucky. I watched him for 10 minutes before I shot it. Did you get all fevered up? I did, but I also had time to compose yourself. Take it down, dude. I, I watched it start coming. I got down on my knees on the base of my climber, resting my shotgun. I was hunting with a 12 gauge with a slug barrel. Yeah. And I watched him walk to me. And I, at that point, I was able to make the conscious decision that I am not going to shoot this deer until he says, oh shit, what's in that tree? He's like, he's that close. Yeah. And then realizes I'm there. When I shot him, he still hadn't seen me, but it was at 30 yards. Then, excuse me. Then he got the insurance. Oh, yeah. At 15 yards when he went, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and I shot him. Me, bitch. Two, yeah, yeah. Two, yeah, two bullet holes about you know two inches apart behind his shoulder. And he Man. went 75 yards and died in a patch of sunlight on the hill. Man, the last few deer I've shot with a rifle, it's been in situations like, uh, one for instance, two years ago, I shot a six-point out off the river on some walk-in stuff, kind of down in central South Florida. And uh, I had some hogs rustling around behind me. It's getting late in the morning. Nice windy day. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to bust one of y'all as soon as y'all come out. Well, right when they were breaking the palmettos behind me, when I could start to see them, let me just turn around and look behind me. And I turn around, and there's a six-point walking across the field. And I had about 10 seconds to shoot before he was just gone. I just threw my gun straight on his shoulder. I'd never had a cleaner shot. Just instant, boom, just like you're talking about. Yeah. There never was no time shot. to put thought into screw No it time up. to doubt, no time to hesitate. I just did it. I just aimed and shot. Right. And it was the best place shot I think I've ever put on a deer. I can also say the thing that's done the most for me, being able to calm my nerves uh, when shooting a deer, is letting a deer come out and then deciding not to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched several deer, and, it, and a lot of times too. Because you talk it's, about I like, still get the 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 jitters, like oh, yeah. oh it's a deer. And you'd be like a dang sixty the, pound button it's butt. It's the initial yeah. right sighting of the deer for me that gets my blood flowing. Yeah, but like yeah. if I can if I can see what it is, if I can get a good idea on what's coming, you know, and have time to make compose that decision, yourself, yeah. yeah, and compose myself. I'm typically all right, but that just never happens when a buck walks out with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not with as thick as it is in no, Florida. No, man. Um, I had this one time where same the same field I've killed multiple bucks out of South Central Florida, and uh, I'm bow hunting it for the first time. I've never bow hunted on the field. It's a pasture that's surrounded by cabbage, cabbage swamp and uh, just thick, nasty swamp heads. It's just a perfect place to be, man. You're surrounded by everything. And uh, so it's the first time I'm sitting in the field with a bow. I just don't like the idea of being able to see something coming for hundreds of yards. Yeah, you know. And I was scanning around looking. I got a little trail that runs straight into a cypress swamp to my left. Look right. Look left. Right. Nothing. And I hear, I hear some rustling. I'm like, what in the hell? And I looked down and directly below me was about 110 inch eight point. Just directly underneath my climber. No shot, no opportunity. I couldn't even stand up. 
I don't know what to do. I froze. The deer end up working out. I have a palm tree right in front of me, and there's a perfect hole about nine inches, and the deer stops right there. I would have had to shoot it through the neck, but that was my opportunity to stand up. So I stood up, drew my bow back, and as soon as I got dialed in on where I was going to shoot, the deer started stepping out. And there's a lot of cattle in, in this place in particular. So there's cattle trails. It's pretty much a Y. I got one coming out to my right. The deer would be 20 yards, quartered away, perfect. Well, the one that the deer followed, it just went straight out. No, it didn't bend. The deer just, I couldn't get the deer to turn. So I stopped it in hopes I could turn the deer full draw. And he just slightly ever so turned, aimed at the last rib, hit him right in the back of the shoulder blade. Deer was way closer than what I thought. Mm. The deer was actually 15 yards from me. I was just so overworked of just watching him walk out. I thought the deer had stepped out to like 25, 30 yards. Never did kill the deer. I had the deer on camera alive and well a month later. I missed an 11 point three times with my bow in the same hunt. <laughs> three times? Three times. At 30, 35, and 45 yards. Mm. Big one? 11 point. Nice. Three, three and a half, four year old 11 point. You say 11 point, but when you say 11 point, you mean like 11 point. Non-typical you would be point. yeah you would be more proud of that 11 point than you are of that 13 mm, he was wider he was wider uh probably about as tall uh, no this is not the same buck you're thinking of oh okay. i'm not talking about that one this is on okay. junior's property okay he was wider not as tall not nearly as much mass yeah uh that would have been the first buck i shot oh that one doesn't have a chocolate rack i said almost every buck i've shot that i have mount every buck i've shot that I have mounted has a chocolate rack on it Oh yeah, I like them chocolate racks. But that buck, that was the instance where like I didn't have the time. Three does come crashing in. He came right behind him, stopped at thirty five yards. I went, oh shit! And I stood up and I drew back and I I had that spot previously ranged at thirty five yards, shot underneath him, mm-hmm. and I went shit. And he ran around. The does came back and he came in at forty five yards. And I pulled my rangefinder out, ranged it forty five yards. Like all right, cool. Next arrow underneath him again. And I was like, God, mother. And he turned and ran a little bit, came back into 30 yards. And I was like, I know that's 30 yards. Draw it back. I was like, I've already killed deer at 30 yards, buddy. Right underneath of him. And I was like, and that was actually the last time I bow hunted. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever figure out why you were shooting low? Buck fever. 100%. 100%. Because I went back and I shot uh, my bow with the broadheads and with field tips. And it was spot on. It was no, wasn't the bow. It was just you. It was me, hundred percent. God, you know. My I buddy just, ended up shooting that buck later on in the year after the rut, and he was a nine. A nine. Yeah, he had part of his rack busted off. Oh, hate when that happens. Yeah, but for the guy that shot it, like it was that was the biggest buck he'd ever killed, and I was super outside pumped of for shooting him. Oh, yeah. a vehicle. Well, he never shot one out of the vehicle, but yeah. he had, or the year before that, like he really started hunting. I pretty much taught the guy how to hunt. Yeah. And uh, I had set him up in that stand after killing two does in that area that morning. Um, and then we'll get into that story off the air. But he shot it with his AR at 20 yards. 20 yards. Yeah, dead as a doornail. Right at oh, yeah. dark. Scared the shit out of me because I was up there at the <laughs> barn taking the deer down that I had hanging all day. But I was stoked for him. He busted off of his uh, G3 and uh, uh, 
uh, it's G two on the other side. I, I'm assume fighting. Yeah, I but love get, I love getting um, new hunters on their first animal. Man, there's yeah. something about it. I, I take. I, I don't know. I think I get more thrill and joy out of that than killing them myself. Dude, I turned that man into a deer murdering machine. Yeah. Because the first year he killed, him. he got, I got, that was his first two deer, right? Yeah. Or uh, his first two deer, he shot a, a, a tiny little button buck in the six point. Then he shot that nine point, and then he was going to bow hunt the next year, but he broke his wrist. So he ended up getting a crossbow off Craigslist mm-hmm. for like 70 bucks. Replace it's like one of the uh, uh, recurve crossbow. Yeah, Replaces shows you string how long on it. ago it was. He bought it on Craigslist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Craigslist Replaced the string on it, and then went on that year in two weeks, killed four does, and lost one. Shot five, but recovered four. Oh, you ruined that man. Oh, I did. <laughs> it, it was. It got annoying to the point that I'm sitting there where he's 100, 150 yards away, and I just hear, thump, like that motherfucker. Shot yeah. another one. I'm tired of dragging your deer. Have you ever had that instance where, like, if you hunt with that one certain person, it's like they always kill something? Oh, that was him after the yeah. first couple of years, dude. He had all the luck. And that man would sit in the tree stand, play on his phone, drink Coke, smoke cigarettes, not be quiet. Like that, we had a yeah. year where we weren't seeing nothing. He's like, yeah, hey, just come hunt with me. He's seeing deer left and right, just laying them down. I gave up one day and go up there and sit with him in the tree stand. He gets up there. Cracks his coke open, starts playing on his phone, lights a cigarette. We in the stand twenty minutes, and I ain't seen. Oh yeah, he's comfortable. I ain't seen a deer for nothing this whole time. We're a month and a half into season. He goes on your left. I said what? He said there's a couple deer on your left. (laughs) And I leaned around forty yards away. There's three doe standers. Like you've got to be freaking kidding me! (laughs) Oh hell, there are others, people, man. That's that's like. (laughs) When people dive deep into scent control and shit, I'm oh like, my god, man, that's another like, one of those. I understand that you can it. Just get lost in. Yeah, I I understand it. I used to be that guy. No, no, I never have. I was when I'll I was about the, sixteen to eighteen. I was man, I was buying all that stuff, and I'm like, man, yeah, they it's got it's got to work, you know. But I don't wash my don't, clothes. Don't I'm, get me wrong, though. If somebody wants to uh, go ahead and 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 buy an ad and sponsors with some scent control stuff. I'll use the piss. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, yeah, I'm I mean, down I will, to try it, but uh, yeah. I'm still gonna hunt like the Indians did and play it by the wind. I've seen stuff, man. The o, the ozone stuff. I don't buy into that. That's and I don't thing, even though, know like, that I could sell something for that. that. Bro, you cannot tell me you're gonna put a 250 like this is just big machine in the tree. No, well, here's what I want. Have you ever smelled ozone? You ever been in a truck where somebody's like, they run the little ozone machine in their cigarette lighter? I think I have an idea. It stinks. It stinks. It has a distinct odor to it. And I'm like, bro, like you... Kind of like I, a propane? I'm like, I'm like, bro, not like propane. It just doesn't smell... It doesn't smell like air. Right? Yeah. It's like you a can tell. Part. You can tell the difference in when the ozone machine is plugged in and when it's not. And it's not like, it smells clean in here. And I'm like, bro, I like, if I can it? smell the difference... A yeah, deer can yeah, smell yeah. the difference. Oh, but you can't tell me that... Uh, I know you're talking about, but I can't remember his name now. Smoking cigarettes. Tristan. Tristan. You can't tell me that Tristan was playing the wind. Tristan was just hunting a stand smoking his cigarettes. He wasn't like, ooh, okay, the wind's blowing this way. They need to go hunt this stand. <laughs> right, no. Tristan he just, just goes to a stand that he knows. But and- So here, here's what I do as far as scent control goes. I wash with, with uh, fragrance-free soap Yeah. when I'm going to go hunt. 
I wash my hunting clothes in fragrance-free detergent, and I also use one that doesn't have the UV brighteners because that does, you know, you're talking about a deer's eyes at that point. Yeah. And I try to hunt the wind. And I mean, at least your idea number four, you think the deer are going right. to be coming from. You know, you have a general well, idea. Well, I mean, if you're hunting in a mobile setup, you just go, you, you know, this is the, the transition area I want to yep. hunt. Well, if the wind's blowing this way, I need to sit on that side of it. Exactly. Um, but... And then number four, you know, always sit in the shadows. Always use some kind of dopey or something too. Every now well, there's there, so here's that. the thing to it. I 100 percent agree that cover scent works. Yeah. yeah. Scent elimination, on the other hand, you're never going to truly eliminate your scent. If scent elimination was a real thing, you could eliminate your scent. Then a tracking dog couldn't find you either. But yeah, they that's can. true. Yeah, every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cover cover scent's the way to go. You can try to mitigate the amount of scent you put on the ground by wearing rubber boots and using cover scent. So, when you say cover scent, what do you mean? Dopey. Dopey. Uh, Tinks like used to make. Yeah. Well, Tinks used to make this uh, persimmon aerosol spray. Oh, yeah. dude, that stuff. That was shit worked shit. great. Yeah. Persimmon and sweetweed aerosol spray. That stuff there, dude. I've literally watched a doe circle downwind of me, and I went with that stuff on the wind. And when she caught that, she walked. To me, in the wind. Dude, that sweet weed that Tinks used to make, it smelled so good it made you want to like spray it in your mouth. Dude, I used to spray that. Uh, I had no lie to the point like I took that. I'd take that persimmon spray and be like, I'm going out to dinner tonight. <laughs> on my shirt, <laughs> spray it, it smells over. good. Yeah. <laughs> my wife's like, "Wow, what are you wearing? That cologne smells really good." I'm like, "I don't know. It's I'm Tinks." Wearing, I'm wearing the yeah. words, <laughs> Tinks. Sponsor me. It's deer attractive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it smelled good, dude. And I would definitely take that and spray it all over my hunting clothes. Man, I used this one stuff last That's year. That's why I, w- I would say, like, I, I would be uh, more of a believer in things like Evercalm oh, before I'm, I'd be in a believer in things like Ozonics. I've I seen Evercalm have, work. I actually yeah. have a, a guy that I used to work with, and he swore by the Evercalm. It's mm-hmm. just like a little butter you could put around your tree. Yeah, bro, or- that's... Uh- I forget who makes that. Jordan's sponsored by that guy. Yeah, there's a but good one. He's um, a, that the dude that makes that stuff is a deer farmer. Yeah, and he is, dude, dumb smart when it comes to deer. So I, I, I wouldn't doubt that his stuff worked. We need to get that guy on. Yeah, we could. We should. We can. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. But I, I'm a firm believer in scent. Uh, not scent elimination, but cover scent, play in the wind. Yeah. I've always just done the scent-free washing with my yeah. clothes. And, uh, yeah, that's that's typically all I do. But, you know, you do get the stinking in, in the I Florida was going to say, you get people that take it to the point of, like, uh, they have those, like, scent-free cabinets or whatever. Yeah, like a storage locker. The ozone I don't bother with any cabinets. Yeah, I don't bother with any of that stuff, man. I just no. stick. I, I wash my stuff. There's a, a claw hosset or a hall closet that holds all of my hunting stuff. And I just wash all my stuff there and hang it up in the hall closet. And then when hunting season comes back around, it gets thrown into an action packer. And yeah. then because I, and then I live out of that hunt and that action pack for hunting season. And I don't worry about stink and stuff like that. I mean, I sweat in it, but again, another thing that works for great cover scent and it, I use it almost every time we hunt is smoke. From a campfire. Campfire smoke. smoke is a great cover scent. Smoke, dog fennel, uh, yeah. 
take uh, cedar, which you can find that a lot across the southeast. Peel the bark off of cedar, and it's also an insect repellent. Yeah, wipe that all over your clothes. That that oil in there, it's all natural wood smells. Yeah. I was going to say, a lot of I mean, people... that's what I wash my body with, is all natural cypress, cedar, right. all the good stuff. He's in there rubbing a tree log all over himself. Hey, man. <laughs> Don't judge. I like yeah, I like brush my woods. teeth with a sweet gum. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, as long as you're killing sweet deer, I might... charcoal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as long as you're killing deer, I might think about doing it, too. Yeah, man. We should uh, we should get on some public land hunts this year. We are, man. We've got some uh, some permits put in. And Quotas are coming out in a week. So listen, we we'll got see. some wood here. We're going to knock wood. on it. And then I've also got some fingers crossed while I'm knocking on this wood. We have three preference points. Oh, yeah. For the sandbar deer hunt. Oh, man. So. I have, I have never even applied for that hunt. We're on our third year. Well, I heard it takes a little bit of time, but. Three preference points is where. A vast majority three to of five. People, yeah. yeah. Three to five. Three is where people start drawing. Hmm. So I'm hoping three is gonna be our year. But if not, we'll you get know, four, we'll you get know what I've five. had luck drawing in the past couple years is um wildlife refuge hunts. Mm-hmm. There's like yeah. certain times of the year if Don't you catch it that, right. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I've had luck for with in the past is I put in for hunts that I pretty much know that I'll get most of them. And yeah. then uh, the hunts that I really wanted, I apply for on uh, redraws and I get a lot of those too. Redraws is where I pull most of my hunts. I mean, yeah, you can play your preference points, but it's, it's kind of like every other year or you every what, two years, you'll get something good with the preference points. Yeah. But I was, I was going to say redraws is really, where you, you know what the beauty of redraws is? They don't take your preference points. Exactly. Yeah. Because the hunt that I hunted last year and killed that buck on, I got on a redraw. And both I still of us got have on redraw. Two preference points for that this year, yeah. so hopefully I'll draw it on the initial draw this year. Um, I've killed a lot of bucks on redraw. I, I typically pull hunts on redraws. Yeah. I, was I get a lot of people asking questions about the quotas too. It's like it's just like rocket science to them. So we're, it's not we're gonna easy. Open, they make it so easily laid out nowadays. You know, we're it, keep keep an eye out because we're gonna open a Patreon, and when we open our Patreon we will give you access to some of the stuff, the, the the information that we don't put out here, right? We'll put out where we where we ourselves are putting in for. We'll put out stuff like that. Like a that. members only. Well, it is, it'll yeah. be not necessarily what is aware, but it's a, a where, a when, and a why. Yeah. Because there are some places, like I said just a second ago, I'm not even going to attempt to draw that on the initial draw because I know uh, – I'm just, there's no chance. I, I got to have 15 preference points to get in there. Well, there's but places. On a redraw, on the other hand, my chances are better because less people apply for redraws. So, yeah, because you there, have that small window to apply. Right. Yeah, there's there's places that I didn't put in for uh, in the initial draw because I know every single year I've grabbed on a redraw. So, why, like, you know, why waste time? Yeah, why now? waste your preference points? <laughs> yeah. Why well, waste my preference points when I know I'm going to be able to grab it on a redraw? I had a great season for pulling hunts last year, but redraw sucked. Well, for me I last lost year. five of my hunts to the hurricane because they closed. Mm. But the you you were supposed to get down. two preference points out of that. So like that's uh, I had an archery hunt this year that I lost. But the problem and, was they were redraws. Mm, yeah, I had an archery hunt that I got initially, and I lost it, but I got two preference points out of it. Because of the hurricane. So I should get it again this year. Not that it's that great of a hunt, but I just want to hunt it. Yeah, for any viewers out there that that do apply for quotas, typically 
once you get two preference points, you're you're in good standing for pulling that hunt. I you just want to make can... sure like what hunt you want the most is your number one pick on your five yeah. pick list. I've got one hunt that's outside of my area, but I know it's a good hunt. Yeah. So I put in for it and I want to start drawing preference points for it. But like most of the hunts I put in for are right here in our area. Well, I that was that, everywhere that I apply for is typically an hour or less away from where I live. So yeah, the whole, I mean, I've hunted West, I've hunted South, I've hunted North, I've hunted East, but I'm really, I, I've just really been trying to figure out my key little 25 mile radius, you know, and all these, we are surrounded by public land. Well, it's anywhere you go in Florida. And, yeah. and I think that's one thing that shocks that, you know, people start putting in for public land. They don't think about, right. You, you, you go to draw your quarter or whatever you go to put in for it and you have this like mile long list of stuff yeah you need to know what's in like because like yeah, you said exactly. I, I put in for like the furthest i really want to drive is like an hour and a half right and yep. i will find out what's in within that hour and a half radius of me and those are the places that i want to put in for and you may put in for some one year and find out that it's not so great so don't go back to that one again find out right. what are the good ones within your hour and a half radius. Yeah, you know, just look on the maps. You know, if you have um, Onyx or any hunt apps, they should, you know, point out which areas are public land management areas. Um, yeah, just look what's in your area, you know, and kind of check out FWC, What see what you can get. FWC a lot has of, a, a WMA map as well, so. Yeah. Oh, and then Onyx has that acorn-producing yep. oak layer. Oh, Shout yeah, out to Onyx. That's been a good one, too, yeah. Yeah. Because, because, well, here's the thing: you put in that acorn-producing oak layer in the scrub, it's, it's not all red. Nope. What is red are big live oaks. Yep. I mean, you get the. Uh, what are the green ones? Mm. I get a lot of green in uh, certain areas that I hunt. Depends on what layer you've got turned on. I want to think there's a. Might just be different oaks. I know what you're talking about, but it's not red oaks and white oaks. I believe is what I got a bunch of yellow, but I have found two a lot in the scrub that you need to watch. And this is where scouting comes in because you'll be like, ooh, that's an acorn producing area. Yeah. Now I will say. And you say, go there and it's fucking clear cut. With the <laughs> acorns, they're not going to produce. Like some trees aren't going to produce every year. No. Yeah. You do need to put feet on the ground to find those producing acorns. That is another thing that I, I will uh, spend a lot of time on throughout the season is acorns. Archery season is typically when they're falling, man. And if we don't have a wet enough summer, then you're not going to see acorns at all. Yeah. That's when it's tough. Which is lucky. But if you can find in those kind of drought, if you can find a an acorn barren tree, you'll find some deer. Well, I, I think th we're going to have a abnormally dry summer this year. You think so? I think we've had a good bit of rain to start it's it out. It's been super spotty. It hasn't With really the been too consistent. El, El Nino, yeah, whatever the heck we've got going yeah. on this year, we're supposed to be dry. What? So and what are we looking for? If it's, if it's dry, what are we looking for? Well, food wise, so palmetto berries, obviously, right? Honestly, if it's dry, the one thing I am looking for the most is acorns because there's less of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you need to put in that much more time mm -hmm. scouting. Key in on that. Yeah, because when it's wet, you'll have more acorns on the ground, which is a good thing and a bad thing because food so is more readily available in the form so, of acorns. Yep. Yeah. So do you think we'll see more or less quality deer? coming out of the scrub this year i don't think so i don't think it'll i don't think it's going to have that massive effect on it you don't think so no Something because they're to do they're, with this year i seen more huge deer come out of mm -hmm. our local woods than years past 
I think it's people learning how to use the maps, man. Well, here, to so be honest, you you want to talk about the the quality of deer coming out of the scrub or whatever, or yeah. Florida, they're growing horns right now. Yep. Yeah. So they're not eating acorns. Yeah. What are acorns they? are a fall forage. They're right. eating blackberries and stuff right now. Uh, grapes, dude. When I hunted, had a lease oh, in southeast Georgia. Yeah, when I had a lease in southeast Georgia, dude, we could put corn out and it would get eight, eh, eight, eh, eight, eh, eight. Eh. As soon as the muscadines came in, they'd sit for it would go sour in the bin. They wouldn't touch it. Man, we got a lot of blackberries around us. Mm-hmm. That too. So I don't know, man. We'll see what it comes. you guys got. Any, let's get some uh, some closing thoughts. I'm gonna say time, 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 man. Uh, put your time in, and it. You know, we've talked about putting your time in, uh, boots on the ground. <clears throat> but you need to, with everything we've talked about, you need to put your time in hunting down your Debbie Mays in your area. You put your time in uh, e-scouting on your maps. And then lastly, you absolutely have to put your time in with boots on the ground. I'm going to say practice and try to envision any scenario in which you think you could uh, come across in in the woods. Uh, When it comes to shooting a bow, stand there with your feet planted side by side as you would stand in a climber. In fact, you could take your climber bottom and stick it on the ground to shoot at your target so you know where your feet have to be. Yep. Practice different stances, turn Practice around sitting. and shoot like back left over your left shoulder or your non-dominant side. If the deer was behind you, uh, practice shooting with your non-dominant hand with a rifle. If you have to, if you're sitting in a stand, there's just a lot of things you can come across that, that's going to, because shooting with that non-dominant eye is, is the real big. Yeah. Kicker. Yeah. That'll, that'll I don't play. know about with a bow, but I've, I've, I've worked on quite a bit of that with a rifle. Another thing you can do uh, to help you practice is, and, and you can do this at home, uh, obviously with an unloaded weapon, is practice uh, th- when you bring the rifle to your shoulder, being on your intended target. Acquiring your target as you. Yeah. You're, and that's as simple as looking at a light switch 30 yards away. You're picking, I'm going to aim for that screw on the top of the light switch. And then you shoulder the rifle, and you want to be able to see the screw on the top of the light switch in the scope immediately. I brought myself to be better about that, about using both eyes. Yep. So I don't leave both my eyes open completely, but I squint my left eye to force my right eye to focus better. Yeah. So you look at me right now like I have it just, I can still see completely out of my left eye, but I squinted just a little bit so that my right eye takes over yep. better. And in my right eye, I'm right eye dominant, but... I can still see my peripheral with my left eye. Yeah, but your left eye is also, you're using, we, we have two eyes because we're best sight with two eyes. So right. when you bring your target up, if you have your left eye on it, or it's if, like squinted, like you said, when you shoulder your rifle, you're looking with both eyes directly right. at what you're. Yeah. I think I'm just going to keep it short and sweet, man. Just don't think too hard about where you go hunting. You know, a lot of people just overthink it. They want to get way deep back up in some thick stuff, you know. It's fine and dandy, but a lot of spots are overlooked, and they're really not far off the road. Don't read too far into everything. Yeah. Take the deer sign at face value. Yep. Everything you're going to learn, for the most part, is going to be in the woods by failure, for the most part. You, (laughs) You have to get out there and just do it, you know. If you're worried about just getting too into the 
technical details, I don't think you're really going to be quite as successful. Just go out there, have a good time, you know, don't, don't overthink it. Learn your lesson. You haven't lived until you've wanted to die from missing your biggest buck you've ever seen in your life at 30 yards with a bow. Yeah. And I think we'll leave it at that. Cody, thank you for joining us. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Love to be back on again. Yeah. We'll catch you guys next week.